Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the, the word, the revelation of the word of God today. And we ask you to unfold and unveil the word, the living word of God to our hearts, to our minds today, Father. And we open up ourselves to receive a download from heaven today, Father God. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place, Father, that it prevails this day, Father. Speak through our lips. Think through our mind today, Father. We bind every and all distractions here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I want to start out by asking you this question here. Has anybody here ever been misunderstood before? Just maybe two people, okay. Anybody here ever been misunderstood before? Okay. Anybody? <laughs> okay. You know, that's not, a, that's not a fun thing, isn't it, to be misunderstood because what someone else may see about you is the absolute opposite of what you think and what you're going through, amen? And I got to thinking about this. Nobody here likes to be misunderstood. But you know, the most misunderstood being that ever existed is not the guy that lives next door to you, not someone that lives in your house. The most misunderstood person is none other than God the Father. He has been the most misunderstood by people in the earth. And I want to clear that up here today because we're going to talk about, we're going to start a new series called Understanding the Love of God. Understanding the Love of God. Now today I want to talk about a subtitle about understanding the goodness of God understanding the goodness of God. And the Lord began to deal with me in my, in my spirit was, as I was praying about this. I wasn't planning on even sharing anything along this line, but He really put it in my heart the last week and a half uh, regarding this particular subject. Now, if we look at Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at one verse. We'll look at two different translations. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says this, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of his long suffering, not knowing that it is that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Now I want you to emphasize I want to emphasize that last part. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Say the goodness of God. Okay, now what makes a person repent? What makes a person change? Is it the wrath of God? No. It's, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repent. Now, Josh, bring that up in the NLT. Let's look at it in that translation here. And let's see the same verse, Romans 2.4 in the New Living Translation. Amen. All right. It says, uh, Do you not see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is His kindness that is intended to turn you from, from your sin? It is His kindness. Amen. I remember years ago, uh, I've shared this little excerpt before, but we went to minister to some. We were assistant pastors in a church in Texas, you know. And we were asked to go visit people that needed uh, you know, healing or, or new believers, things along that line. And I remember we went to visit this young man that had just received Christ in the, in the church service that we were a part of in that church. And so we went over not knowing anything about him, never met him before. And we went in, I think his name was Pete actually, I remember his first name. And we uh, uh, 
went into the house. He was probably about 23 years old, something like that. Pretty young guy. Just gave his heart to the Lord. And uh, when, I knocked, when we knocked on the door, uh, he let us in. And he had a sister right around her, the same age that was there. And she knew that we were pastors. And you know how people have preconceived ideas? They're like, oh, they're ministers, you know. So right away they, they draw conclusions like, you know, they're out to get your money or they're, you know, they're charlatans or this or that. You know what I'm saying? She had an attitude, you know. And it was really obvious, her body language, you know. People talk about body language. So make a long story short, we, we, uh, we ministered to him, shared some scriptures with him, this young man. And uh, uh, so we asked him at the end of the, the meeting that we were there, maybe a half an hour with him, something like that, 30 minutes. And he said, uh, I, I said, is there anything we can pray for? Do you need to have, is there any needs that you have? You know, he says, well, yeah. He goes, he goes, I can't, he goes, I'm deaf in one ear. And he says, and I can't hear, I, I can't smell out of one of my nostrils. Okay, I thought, well, okay. And uh, so he could breathe out of one nostril, he could hear out of one ear. All right? So half his senses are working, you know. And, uh, and so I said, well, that's nothing for the Lord, you know. And, and so the way this house was situated, set up, the kitchen and the living room kind of flowed together. There was no barrier, there was no wall separating them. So the, the sister's over there watching some kind of show on TV, you know, but she's kind of within earshot of what's going on here. She's kind of half paying attention. But you could just tell she had an attitude, rolling her eyes, that kind of thing. And so we prayed for him. And in the name of Jesus, I commanded, Lynn and I laid hands on him, commanded his ear to open up, commanded his sinuses to open up. And I tell you, I, I felt about as spiritual as this pulpit right here. I didn't feel any, there was no feeling whatsoever. And this kind of shows you sometimes, you're not waiting for some spectacular feeling. And I mean, he obviously never experienced anything like this before. He said... Oh my God. He's there. I can hear. I can smell. He's like <sighs> taking deep breaths, you know. And by this time, his sister's over there on the couch over there. And she's like, you know, like they say, two olives on the end of toothpicks, like her eyes. She's like, she's like, you know, she's like amazed at what's going on. Well, to make a long story short, we ended up transferring the conversation over to her. Now she's sort of like, her, her interest has been piqued because she's. She saw the goodness of God. You know, Acts 10.38 says that Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Healing is good, isn't it? He went about doing good, what? Healing. When she saw the goodness of God, it opened up her spiritual heart. And before we left that place, we were able to lead her to the Lord. Amen. Now, I can't honestly say that she would have been open had she not have seen the goodness of God. But when she saw, because her brother wasn't faking it. You know, he was a brand new Christian. He had never, he didn't even know about healing, right? And so it was like the easiest thing in the world to get a new Christian, uh, either baptized with the Spirit or healed. I mean, it was just like that. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and because of his enthusiasm as, as a result of receiving this healing, that piqued her interest to the point when she saw the goodness of God, we were able to pray with her. She was now open prior to that. She wasn't, okay? And so, did you ever stop to think about it? Everybody that Jesus healed were sinners. Everybody. Because nobody was born again. The new covenant didn't start till Jesus was raised from the dead. You know what I'm saying? And so, this scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads people 
to repentance. I mean, if you just follow the ministry of Jesus, you know, I love the subject of faith and healing. I'm like, I'm like a dog on a bone with that. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And, and, and I, I just, I love that. It just does something to me. You know what I'm saying? Because Jesus is still a healer. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we should always look for opportunities, you know, to lay hands upon people if they, if they you know, it doesn't have to be spectacular. You know what I mean? But if somebody wants prayer, say, you know, I'll pray for you. Matter if I pray for you right now, if it works out, you know, just, just lay hands on and say, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, be healed. You'll find in the New Testament, they really didn't pray for the people. They just laid hands on them, commanded them to be healed. They just, they just did what Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Amen. Well, that, that command has never changed in 2,000 years. It's never altered. It's never changed. Now, people have changed that. All right. But I'll tell you, the more confidence that we have, just like you know that you're saved, they couldn't beat it out of you with a baseball bat. If somebody said, oh, I know you're not saved. You weren't baptized the right way. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. Amen. And it's always like hanging people, you know, like that. But how many of you know that you're saved? Raise your hand. You know that you know that you know you're saved. Okay. Now, you don't, you don't have an angel appear to you and say you are now a child of God, but you have the inward witness that says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There's, some, there's an inward witness that tells you you're a child of God. Right? Amen. Amen. And so, just like you know that you're saved and you're totally 100% convinced that you're saved, that if you would leave this earth, you know exactly where you would go. We can be that firm and that confident about our healing and what rightfully belongs to us. Prime example, Glenn's testimony this morning. I, I heard confidence. Amen. We can all be confident because it's a finished work. Amen. So it says right here, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Now I want to look at a scripture here in the NLT in Matthew 23 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 and I want us to look into the heart of the Father God today. I want us to see, was it Philip, he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. Just show us the Father. And Jesus said in John 14, he says, look, I've been with you all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was an exact duplicate of the Father God. He acted and behaved and his, his words were exactly what the Father would have said in his situation. Jesus said, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear him speak, I speak. Okay, Matthew 23, verse 37, uh, the, the New Living says this, O Jerusalem, Jesus said, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Jesus said this about Israel. He said, oh, Israel, Israel, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to nourish you. Amen. I heard a story one time, a true story about a barn that was on fire. And I remember vividly this testimony. They said that uh, they thought all the animals perished, you know, but after, the, after the, the fire stopped and the firemen went in there and the owner went back into the barn, they found everything was all burned up, you know. And they saw the, this mother hen, and 
the mother hen was dead, but she, underneath her wings, when they picked the, the, the hen up that, was, that died in the, in the fire, all these new chicks ran out from underneath her feathers. Isn't that something? They lived. But the mother died. But what she, what she was doing is she was protecting, the mother hen was protecting her chicks. Okay? And Jesus said, he goes, he goes we, I wanted, the father wanted to do, he said, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you like a, like a hen gathers her chicks and protects them. But you wouldn't let me. You, you stoned and you killed them. Isn't that amazing? All through the years and ages, God would send prophet after prophet and messenger after messenger to Israel to give them in, the good news and so forth. And they just kept rejecting. They kept rejecting. In fact, they rejected Jesus was the most rejected of all. The Bible says in John chapter 1, Jesus came unto his own and his own received them not. He knew what Jesus understood rejection more than any human being ever on this earth. He was the most rejected person that ever existed. Did you know that? In fact, Jesus was the most cursed person that ever lived. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I heard the Holy Ghost talk, talk to me one time about this a few years back, and I'll never forget it. I still, it's so fresh in my memory. He says, and I didn't hear it with these ears, but I heard it in here. He said, Keith, guess who the most cursed person was on, that walked the planet? I really didn't know. I'm thinking like, you know, Hitler, <laughs> someone like that, you know, Mussolini, one of these other wicked, evil leaders, you know, Saddam Hussein. He said, no, I was. He says, I became the curse, the sum total of the curse. I took the sum total of all the curse of every human being that ever walked this planet. I became, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, becoming a curse for us. Now, he's not that way now, but he became the curse. Jesus took 100% of the curse on him so you and me wouldn't have to. Then I heard this. You've heard me say this before if you've been around here. I heard the Spirit of God say this inside me. He says, to the degree and to the extent that Jesus bore the curse is to the same extent and same degree that we bear Abraham's blessing. Because it says, he became the curse that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's you and me. Glory to God. Reversed. Jesus took that curse so you and I could be blessed. Hallelujah. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, glory to God. Now, sometimes you don't feel like it, but say it anyway. Say, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. And, and, and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. I want to ask you this question, too, along that same line. When Jesus went to the cross and took our sin, how much did he take? A-L-L, double capital, right? He took all of our sin, right? Now that's before you ever existed. That was future. <laughs> because you weren't, you weren't here yet. Jesus took the sin, not only your sin, past, present, future. He took the sin of the whole entire world upon Him. Amen? Him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Him who knew no sin became sin. He didn't sin, but He became sin. He took our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ Jesus. My goodness. You talk about God's love. 
and God's grace and God's love for us. He took all of my sin, the sum total of all my sin, and so I could take his gift of righteousness. Oh, the gift of righteousness. Amen. I'm reminded of Romans 5.17, for if by the offense of one man, that's Adam, many were made sinners, much more. They which receive abundance of grace, and notice this, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Reign like a king, the Amplified says. Jesus took all of my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God, right standing with God. And Isaiah says the work of righteousness shall be peace and quietness and sure dwelling places, the work of righteousness. Now what does that mean? You have right standing with God. As a child of God, men, women, boys, girls in this place right now, you have right standing with God before our Lord Jesus Christ. You are 100%. Did you know that Jesus, now this sounds crazy to the mind, did you know that Jesus is not more righteous than you? And you're not less righteous than Him. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your health. Jesus is your forgiveness. Jesus is your healing. He's everything that you'll ever need in this life. He did that for you. His great love did that for you. In fact, uh, everything that we see that God did, let's not make this all theological and hermeneutical and all this kind of stuff. Everything that God did is an act of love for us. Everything Jesus did, He didn't do it for Himself. He did it for you and me. In fact, even his present day ministry. You say, well, what's Jesus doing today? The Bible says he has a present day ministry where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He lives, he's the the go between, between God the Father and us. He represents us. Amen. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. And the enemy pleads guilty. He says, no, no, my blood covers them. His blood covers us. And you know, that that just takes the struggle in my case, it took the struggle out of prayer because now I don't have to strain and strive and, and screech and, and yell and scream, you know, because I, I used to think, you know, that you had to get real vocal and real loud and all this kind of stuff for God to hear you, but He hears even the, the slightest whisper from you when you pray in faith and you whisper in faith. I've prayed some prayers that are so soft that only God hears it inside me like a, you know, I say it within my mind to the Lord, He answers it. That's, that's confidence, isn't it? Amen. Having the confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His Word, His will, He hears us. And we know that whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Now, His Word and His will are one and the same. You, you with me now? Now, I wrote this down here, uh, and we'll talk about this. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repent or to change Let's talk about this word repentance for a minute here because there's a lot of misunderstanding. But in in a simple way, repent means to go the opposite way. Everybody here has repented. Maybe you were driving down a road and you decided to turn around and go the other way. Or you decided to walk down a certain way and you decided, no, I'm going to go this way instead. That is a form of repentance. You were going to go this way, then you 
change and you went that way. Okay? That's all that that means is to make a 180 about face. Change. All right? So if it's the goodness of God, listen to this. If it's the goodness of God that leads people to repent, say the goodness of God God. leads people people to repent. Okay? Um, The biggest thing the devil will lie about then is the goodness of God. Okay? It saddens my heart sometimes because through the years I've talked to different people um, here and there, you know, through the since 19, we've been in the ministry since 1983 in various forms of ministry, you know. And it's so sad when you come across someone that thinks that God is responsible for doing something in someone's life when it's just the devil. The devil comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible says that in, Romans, in, in John 10.10. 10. The thief, the devil, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The very first thing he comes to do is steal. He's a thief, the devil. And what he wants to do is he wants to, to, he wants to lie about, uh, you know, God. He wants to lie about who he is and how good he is. Because if you think he's a bad God, you're not going to want to serve him. Amen? Now I remember back when I was attending McGibney Elementary School. That goes back a few years. Okay? In my school district, I was going, to, and it, we had lunchtime, and then we had recess. After lunch, we'd go out on the, when the weather was permittable, we'd go out on the playground and, you know, don't go on the swings, the monkey bars, and all this kind of stuff. How many remember doing that stuff, you know? And then the bell would ring, and everybody would line up, you know, get in line. I remember like it was yesterday, you know? And, uh, I'll tell you, the most abuse I ever got, I'll never forget, is I wore my, we had, I was a Cub Scout. Oh, God. And we had a day where the, we, the, our, our den mother, whatever she was called, she said, uh, she goes, this, we're going to wear our uniforms to school today. I was like so excited about this. You know, I'm wearing my blue uniform and all this. Oh, my God. That was the worst thing that ever happened to me, man. <laughs> I need a major prayer after that, you know. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, I, had, I was just a young guy, but I had my blue thing on, I had that yellow handkerchief, you had my hat on. My... Remember that? Doggone it, man, I'm telling you what. We won't go into that, but I'll tell you what, it was terrible. <laughs> I got abused for a couple years after that took place, you know. You know? I said, I'll never wear that thing again. <laughs> but anyway, the bell would ring, you know, and everybody would line up two by two, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and it seemed like almost every day, I don't know if it was every day, but it seemed like every day we'd be in line, you know, waiting, you know, and, the, and you got the teachers out there and they're watching, trying to watch everybody, you know. And then as you're in line, somebody from behind reaches over and slaps you in the head or something like that, you know. And then the person that got hit thinks that the guy behind them just, just is, is the one that hit them. So he turns around and whack, or the girl turns around and whacks, and he'll say, I didn't do it, it was him over there. Okay? Now this is a prime example of what the devil does, is he slaps people around and does different things, and then he says, it's God that did that. Are you with me? God made you sick. God didn't, No, God didn't make a person sick. The devil did. How could God make a person sick? Where would he go to get it? 
There's no, there's no sickness and disease in heaven. Jesus said, pray that the will of God be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, any simple-minded person would realize, wait, is there any sickness in heaven? Are there cripples in heaven? Are there blind people in heaven? No. No. Are there any broke people in heaven? No. That's the way it's supposed to be on the earth for us. So that just tells us if something's stealing from you, robbing from you, killing, we know right away where it's coming from. It's coming from the devil. Okay? And that's why we got to chase him out. Praise God. How many of you ladies would let snakes in your house? Okay? Ask Sister Patty when she got that gun out one time and shot that, <laughs> shot that snake. Man, that's what, I love her spunk. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You want to hear some stories, talk to Sister Patty. I'm telling you, man. I'm like, did that really happen? You know, it's like, yeah, it did happen, you know. Hallelujah. But Satan is called that old serpent. Satan's called the serpent, right? And he tries to make his way into our homes and things like that. You know, we got to just put our foot on his neck and say, oh, no, you don't strife and division. You're not coming into my house. Amen. If what we're, think about it. If what we're about to say is going to cause division or strife, we probably shouldn't say it. If it's going to cause hurt, if it's going to cause some pain, we probably shouldn't say it. Okay? The Bible says that we should speak words that edify, speak words that build up. Amen. To encourage and build up and admonish. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I wrote down here, moving forward here, and we're talking about the goodness of God today. God is is absolute. Say absolute. Absolute Absolute good. Now I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about here. How many of you here have ever gone out on a very cold winter night and you walked out and it was below zero and you think, doggone it, it is so cold. Anybody ever experienced that before if you live up here? Okay. At one time in my life I actually got frostbite. I was, I was stupid enough to stay outside and keep playing a sport, playing ice hockey when it was like below zero, and I got, both of my feet got pretty severely frostbitten. That was not a fun thing to deal with. And the Lord had mercy on me and healed me after all, you know. It was terrible. But, you know, as, as, the, as cold as cold can be, there's still heat in the air. Did you know that? In order, in order for there to be absolute cold where there's no heat, Get this, it has to be 459.67 degrees below zero Fahrenheit in order for there to be zero heat. So even in, you know, Anchorage, Alaska, and it gets 35 below zero, people say, there's no heat up there. Yes, there is. There's still heat. You just can't feel it. But in order for, in order for there to be absolute zero degrees Fahrenheit, where there's no heat whatsoever, it has to be, now think about this, 459.67, negative 469.67 below zero. And nothing would survive in that. Okay? Now that's an absolute. That's an absolute. Let me give you an example. The Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all absolute 
light. Absolute light. Many years ago, I was, uh, when I was an assistant pastor here in Pittsburgh, some of the guys in the church decided they were going to go, they called it splunking, okay, or caving, okay. And there was a guy in our church that, that, that was really familiar with this, that had done this a lot of times, and he had a friend that had a cave in Virginia. Some, I forget the name of the town. It was Virginia. It was like a five-hour drive, something like that from here. And, uh, and so he had a cave on his property. And he asked me, I was the assistant pastor at that time, he said, would you like to go splunking with us? I said, what's that? He said, caving. I said, well, that sounds good to me. And there was about five guys from the church that went, okay? And, and so I said, okay, yeah, we'll do it. You know, it was on a Saturday. And, uh, and so I'll never forget this. Um, we got in the car we, early in the morning. We drove down there and finally, we're way out in the, in the boondocks, as they say. We're out in Virginia somewhere, way out in the country, you know. And, uh, and then we walk up to this, where they said, this is the entrance of the cave. I didn't see any entrance. <laughs> and I look, and there was a hole in the ground about that big. I thought, am I a groundhog or what? You know what I'm saying? And uh, that was the entrance. You had to crawl in this little small area. Now, once you crawled in, it was crazy. I'm just saying, it was crazy. Once you crawled in on this mountain in Virginia, it opened up pretty large. It got pretty big. And then there were some other areas that were just as tight as tight could be. You know what I'm saying? It was, I would never do it again. Let me put it to you that way. I was like, what have I gotten into here, you know? And, uh, and I'll never forget, we came, to this, we came to this one area where we crawled through this small area. And then all of a sudden, and we had these miners' helmets on with lights, you know. And we got into this area, and, and all of a sudden, I look, I thought, what my, what my helmet could see, and the other guys too. It, this, this was a huge area. It was, to me, it was big as the Civic Arena. Remember the Civic Arena? It was massive, this big area, underground, okay. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is all underground. It just opened up like this, you know. And I'm like, this is crazy. Now, I saw something pulsating on the walls like I'm like what is that it was something was like moving and I'm looking what is that and here was bats there was I would say not thousands millions of bats okay now here's the thing they started to fly around they won't touch you I mean they, they've got that radar system that building you know God put in them and they they fly around you can't even hear them but they're they won't touch you you know what I'm saying and uh and he said, here's what we're going to do. Let's turn our helmets off for the guy that was leading us. He said, let's turn our helmets off, you know, the lights off. So we did. And I'll tell you, I've never seen, there was zero light in that place. It was totally, completely dark. Darkness, you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. Absolute darkness, okay? But just the, the flicker of a little Bic lighter would light that whole place up. Just a little tiny light. And the Bible says that God is light, absolute light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Now, Satan is called the prince of darkness. There's no light in him. There used to be, but God removed his light. God removed his light. You know, people put too, way too much stock in the devil. You know, they talk about the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. But let me tell you something. You're talking about a fallen angel... He's a fallen angel. He lost his anointing. He lost his power. He lost his authority. Jesus stripped him, the Bible says. Okay? And the only thing that he can try to do is try to 
make you think a lie, believe a lie, something that's not true, deception. That's how he functions to this day. People believe lies. People believe lies about God. They believe lies about themselves. But God is the only one that will tell you the honest, the goodness, truth. He'll tell you the truth about Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, 100%, absolute. He will tell you the truth every single time. There's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning in him. He's absolute truth. Hallelujah. And that's why you can have absolute confidence when you go before the Lord and the devil will try to make you think that the, the word of God is not going to work for you. Half God said. That's what he said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you really think God meant what he said? Oh, I know what the Bible says about promises for my kids, but you know, you're in a different situation. You know what I mean? But no, the word of God is true. Absolute life. And that's why we can get excited about it. Whew, glory to God. God is good. Now let's, let's kind of wind it up here this morning. Let's go to um, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 in the Old Testament. I want to show you something here. This will be in the New Living Translation here. I want to read a couple of verses here. Now I want to set the stage for you here as I read this before we, we close here this, this morning. God instructed David to have Solomon build the temple. David wanted to. But God said, you have too much blood on your hands. So he said, your son is going to be the one. I'm going I'm to anoint him to build the tabernacle, to build the temple, okay? Uh, for the very first time, Solomon's temple and the glory of that temple. And it took years to, to, to build that whole thing, years and years. In, that, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, let's pick up in verse 1. I want to show you something here about the goodness of God. This is the NLT. And it says that, we're just going to read down a few, few verses. I want to show you something here. So Solomon finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. Then he brought all the gifts to, uh, to his father David and dedicated the silver, the gold, the various articles. And uh, he stored them up in the treasures of the temple of the temple of God. Verse 2. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders and the ancestral families of Israel. They were to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the annual festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn, basically this time of year. Verse 4. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the Levites picked up the ark, and the priests and the Levites brought up the ark along with a special tent and, uh, and all the sacred items that had been in it there before the ark. King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could even keep count. Could have been a bloody place, right? Verse 7 says, Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and the carrying poles. And the poles were so long that the ends could not be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the holy, most holy place, but not from the outside. 
They are still there to this day. Nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel that they, when they left Egypt. Verse 11. And the priests left, and when the priests who left were present had purified themselves, whether they were on duty that day, and the Levites who were musicians, Asap, Heman, Jedunah and all the sons of their brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar uh, playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. And, uh, and notice this. And they were joined by 100. Now notice that. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. Verse 13. Now keep that in mind, 120. And the trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals with other instruments. And they raised their voices. Notice this. They raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. And at that moment a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not continue to do their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the presence of the Lord had filled the temple. Now the King James says, they began to say and sing, the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. So, so here you have a church service, if you will, and you have instruments, you have cymbals and trumpets and different types of instruments that, that we wouldn't have necessarily today. And not only did they have instruments, but they lifted up their voices. They lifted up their voices. You know, this is so important that we understand this, that, that when we come together, when we gather together, God gave us a voice to lift. Who cares if you're out of tune? It doesn't matter. Make a joyful noise. Okay? But something, something breaks loose in the spirit realm when we willingly say, Oh, thank you, Lord. Something breaks forth. That's why the devil wants to keep your mouth shut. Well, you don't open your mouth and don't say anything. A praise service is intended for you to open your mouth. Not stand there and just look around. A praise service is meant for you to lift your hands to the Lord. Open your mouth and sing and make some noise. Because when you do that, the glory of the Lord is going to show up. That's why the devil doesn't want people to worship God. If you want the manifest presence of God in your life, even in your own household, learn how to give thanks and learn how to give praise by yourself. After all, if you do it at home, it won't be so hard when we come together. Okay? I should never, as a pastor, I should never have to be a cheerleader up here and say, come on now, let's do it. I should never have to do that. The only thing I should be able to do is say, all right, let's calm down a little bit. <laughs> Amen? I'm not just playing around here, you know, being cute here. I'm not trying to, I'm telling you the truth, for the honest to God truth right now. Do y'all believe me? I'm telling you. When we worship Jesus, things happen. And they said, the Lord is good. You know, <clears throat> let's kick this goofy philosophy out that people up north are just more reserved. Baloney. That's right, they're not at the football game. Well, you know how people are in the northeast. That's a dumb, lame excuse. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Just look at a Pittsburgh Steeler game. 
Do you think people are quiet there? Is it like a church mouse, as they say? You know, I mean, people are screaming and hollering and yelling and, you know, probably intoxication, you know, is going along there too. You know what I'm saying? Now, you and I can be intoxicated with the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, sometimes it, this, is, this might be a little uncomfortable, but we've got we to gotta break through some of this stuff. Okay? We have to press through some of this stuff. If we're not used to doing that, that's okay. There's a first time for everything. I remember the first time I shouted before the presence of God. I was alone. I wasn't with anybody else. Yeah, I felt a little odd at first. It felt a little different to me. But I, I, I survived. I made it. I broke through to another realm. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. They amplified the goodness of God. They said, the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And they kept saying that. <clears throat> they kept singing that. And what happened is the, the cloud of God's Shekinah glory in the form of a cloud moved into that place. And the priests couldn't even stand up. They were under the power of God. They couldn't even stand up because of the presence and the power of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And I, I was thinking about this. Debbie and John, you guys were there. I rem you remember this. We had Joseph Morris. Do you remember that? Years ago, this guy came to our church. And, uh, and it was just one of those services, I remember. And it was just it was just glorious, you know. And I was, I was up there, I don't know if it was at the end of worship or something, but I just, I felt like somebody was pushing me down, like literally on top of my head, like sitting on top of me, pushing me down. But it was the most glorious feeling I ever had in my life. And I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. And I, it was the heavy, weighty glory of God. And I didn't, never experienced it like that before. And, uh, and I mean, there was just a, there was a holy reverence that was there. And I remember, I, I just, I had to get on my knees or I think I would have fallen. I got on my knees and I just, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And then somebody got in the flesh and came up. Yeah. And did something in the flesh and that, that thing left just yeah. like that. I thought, oh, God, oh, God. You know what I'm saying? It's like people are afraid to be quiet before God sometimes, you know. But do you all remember that? I mean, I think, I think you danced in the spirit that day, didn't you? He laid hands on, on Brother John. I mean, he took off. I mean, to tell you, <laughs> I never saw John run, move so fast in all my life. Amen. Hallelujah. But it was a holy thing. It was a beautiful thing, you know. And... Uh, it, it, was, it was pure. It was holy. It was just like, mm, man, you know. Well, there's 120, think about this. There's 120 priests in, the, in this place right now. Now, if you go over to that book, the book of Acts real quick here, I want you to show, show you this, and we'll, we'll wind up here today. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 14, the Lord told me this when we started this church a few years ago. The Lord said this. He said, Keith, now remember this. There's no substitute for my presence. He said, major on my presence. Because that's the most important thing when people gather together. 
Now, sometimes people don't want that. Go figure, I don't understand that. There are Christians that don't want that. Uh, but you know, when their back's up against the wall and they need the glory of God and they need the power of God, they have nowhere else to look. Okay? But there is no substitute for the presence of God. His goodness and His presence is, is very... We're not just having church to have church because it's the Sunday thing. Forget that. Okay? Yeah, we need to first come together. But when we come together, we just... We want His glory. We want His presence. That's what we want. It's not just a religious thing to do. We're punching our time card in. We, we come with a heart open to God for Him to speak to us and move through us and move in our midst. Hallelujah. That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Where God comes together and He finds a habitation. He feels comfortable. He feels at home. Amen. Amen. Does God feel at home in our lives? Does He feel at home in our church? That's what we want. Hallelujah. That's what I want. Hallelujah. Notice Acts chapter 1 verse 14. It says, now, this is the day of Pentecost, of course, you know, and it says, now these all continued in one accord and one prayer and supplication for the, with the women. And notice this, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names of together were about 120. Hmm. There's that number again. There's 120 priests in the temple, and the glory of God, excuse me, filled the temple so that the priests could not stand by reason of the cloud because of the glory of God. Now, in this case... Oh my goodness. You have these disciples and Mary was, was also among them. Praise God. And they were all in one place in one accord. You say, Pastor, how do they all fit in a little Honda? That's <laughs> no, that's bad. It says these all continued. They're in unison. They're in unison. Okay. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 2, you're right there. You go to Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 1. Okay? See, the, if the devil can disrupt, disrupt unity, he's got a congregation. He's got a home. If he can disrupt the unity, he's already in the person's hand. He's already in his hands. The devil hates unity. God is all about unity. He's all about unison and one accord. Because when we come together in one accord, in one place, oh, I'm telling you, there's some powerful things that will take place. It says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one place and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Notice that. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right. Did this happen? It happened, didn't it? Was this a heavenly visitation? Yes, it was. Do you think the devil did this? No. God did this. They were all in one place. There was, now, what's interesting about this, there was, it says there was 120 in the upper room. But when Jesus appeared to them after His resurrection, 
he, he said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, he appeared to over 500 brethren. And he told them to go wait in the city of Jerusalem and wait until you're endued with power from on high. He said that to over 500 brethren, but only 120 showed up. So the other missed out. The majority missed out. They didn't listen to what Jesus said. He said, you go wait. Now they were going, they were expecting. How many of you know these 120, they were expecting? See, God can do more with five people that are in agreement than He can with 500 people that are not in agreement. It's, it's the truth. It's better to have power of agreement. There's such power in that. Amen? And when they came together, this was the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was a start. There, was a, there had to be a starting point. And this was it right here. Now the Holy Ghost has never had to do it this way again because once he was sent on the day of Pentecost, like a rushing mighty wind, I believe there's angels' wings there, when they rushed in there and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in a heavenly tongue. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Why would people fight against that? Why would people fight that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. People fight against that. Are you kidding me? A heavenly tongue, a prayer language from heaven that's supernatural. You can't make a mistake. It's God speaking through you using your vocal cords. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit back in 1980, 1980, when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, it revolutionized and changed my life. I, I always believed in God, but all of a sudden it took it to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, here I am in, a, in the middle of a crusade, a Brian Rudd crusade of all things, and the Spirit of God fell on me, baptized me with the Holy Spirit. I wasn't even asking for it. And I mean, instantly... And there's 500 some people there standing there. And I was in the middle of the, the center part of that congregation. There's three sections. I was right in the middle. And I was with my sister. I was with my best friend and, and some other friends that were there, you know, from the church. And, um, and it was like, whoa, it came over me. Like Peter, when he spoke on that to the house of Cornelius. And as he spoke, the Holy Spirit fell. And he heard them speak with other tongues right in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> That's what happened to me. The exact same thing happened to me. And it felt like millions of goosebumps were popping out all over my body. I mean, I never felt so good in my life. I, never, I was like, oh, oh, I can't handle this. This is too good. This is so good. This is so good, you know. And I, instantly I was able to speak in, in foreign languages I never learned before. I mean, just flying out of me. You know what I'm saying? Now, I had control over it. I could start and stop when I wanted you know what I mean? But it was the most glorious thing. And the next day, I remember, I was, this is on a Wednesday night, and I went to work the next day. I worked in a paper factory in Bridgeville. It's not there anymore, but I worked in a paper factory. And I, I went into work the next day, and I mean, I felt like I was floating in there. You know what I'm saying? I was like, and you see these other people that are, they're not saved. They're walking around there. They, they look so miserably lost. You know, I'm like, 
I felt like saying, do you know what happened to me last night? <laughs> and I would, I would take a tiny little break. I'd go back to the back room just to use the restroom back there, you know, and just this little tiny bathroom. I'd go back in there and I'd speak in tongues. And then I'd go back out and finish my job, you know what I'm saying? But I, I thought, what it did to me is it, it reminded me of how, first of all, I couldn't speak in that language on my own accord. I couldn't, I just couldn't do that. So it had to be God to give me that language, right? So every time I spoke in that language from that point forward, it was a constant reminder that God's in me. When you're tempted to doubt and you're tempted to get discouraged and you're tempted to give up and quit in life about things that happen, you just yield yourself to that and say, well, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit's here and He's helping me. You know what I'm saying? Folks, we should never outgrow these things. The Holy Spirit, the language of the Holy Spirit should be something that we develop constantly in our lives all the time. Okay? Because we always, the devil's all, how I many you know he's constant? He's always trying to bring discouragement. He's always trying to throw things at you, you know, bad news all the time. Well, we just need to counteract that. We need to just get right back in the Spirit. Amen. And um, as I close here today, I want to give you this picture. How many of you want to know what God looks like? How many of you want to know what Jesus looks like? Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Now, I got this off the, hot off the press last night. The Lord said this to me, and I didn't know where he was going with this. He said, do you want to see a clear picture of me? All right. Josh, go to Galatians chapter 5 for a minute here. Let's pick up in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay? This is a, I know you're thinking like, like a visual picture, right? All right, let's look at it this way. Here's a picture of God. Here's a picture of Jesus. He is the sum total of all these things right here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's Jesus. Joy. That's Jesus. Peace. Jesus. Long-suffering. Jesus. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. No, actually it means faithfulness in the Greek. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. If you want to see Jesus... This is the clearest picture of him right here. Amen. Praise the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus was all love. He was all joy. He was all long-suffering. He was all gentle. Jesus was very gentle. Now, he could be rough when he wanted, needed to be with certain things, with religious people, right? The deceivers. But yet, on the other side of that, he could be the most loving person because he was love. Now, as we get into the, the next several weeks here, we're going we're gonna to get into the, the meat of this thing right here because God wants to manifest himself to us. He wants to show us. That's what Philip was kind of perplexed. He said, Lord, just show us the Father. He's like frustrated. Just show us the Father. And Jesus looked at him and said, I've been with you for three and a half years, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
They kept thinking, no, there's somebody else. We need to see God for what He... Jesus said, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am a clear picture of the Father. That's what Jesus was saying. Amen? And guess what? You and I can become a clear picture of who Jesus is, who the Father is by people looking at us. Hallelujah. We, you know, we have the fruit of the Spirit in us just like Jesus had the fruit. Same fruit. His love is in us. His joy is in us. His long-suffering is in us. Someone says, I just can't put up with them any longer. Yes, you can. <laughs> you ever stop to think about it? That God puts up with all of us at once? Every believer on the earth. And not everybody has their acts together, right? But he's patient. He's long-suffering. He's gentle. He's good. And all those things that he is says, I want that. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll close right here. This is it. But I've studied this for years about people, for years now. It's just an interest. It's something that's extremely interesting to me because that's our future. And I've studied people that have had out-of-body experiences that have left their bodies, Christians, and have gone to heaven, got a glimpse of heaven. Some of them spent time in heaven and came back from heaven to explain what took place there? And it's amazing the similarities between the different people that don't even know each other, okay? And it just paints a clear picture of when a Christian leaves this body and they go home to be with Jesus. We'll try to explain this in English words. It's, it's hard to describe in English words sometimes because there's no words to really uh, depict the fullness of what I'm trying to say. And there is a lady, for example, I remember her testimony. It's on YouTube. And you could tell she wasn't faking it. This was so real to her. She was so moved by this that she was never in a position to ever even communicate via like YouTube video. She never did stuff like that. She said, I, she goes, I'm only doing this because the Lord wanted me to do this. She goes, I'm nervous about this. I don't like doing things on camera. But she goes, I have to tell you what happened to me. You know what I'm saying? Now, she was a Christian. But she wasn't living for God. There's a difference, isn't there? She was, she was born again, made a commitment at one point in her life, but she was not serving God. She wasn't living for God when she was on the earth. Now, what most people experience is when they leave, they have, within seconds, they have what they call a life review. And what happens, it's like a screen. Remember that, Brother Dan? This life review, and, it, and it's a flash of everything that you, from the very cradle up to that point, things that you did in your life and so forth. But it's not a matter of condemnation. It's never a matter of guilt and condemnation. But it's a life review of their priorities and where they're at in life and so forth. And, she, and this, this girl said, she goes, I was not living for God. But she goes, when I saw Jesus... She was taking this uh, weight loss pill, okay? Here's what happened. She was taking a weight loss pill, and she abused it. And it, and it killed her. She overdosed, okay? And of course, Jesus sent her back. God sent her back. But she said, when she went there, she realized, and it was, she said there was zero guilt, zero condemnation. She says, what so, so amazed me was how much 
his undivided attention was just on me. He, she said, his eyes were so full of love for me. She goes, the last thing I wanted to do was come back. I did not want to come back to the earth. I wanted to stay there. And she was young. She's probably in her 20s. She goes, I, I felt ultimate love, ultimate joy, ultimate peace like the earth cannot even experience. She goes, there was such a magnetic pull, if you will, that wanted to keep me there. I wanted to stay there, but the Lord said, you have to go back. You have to finish your race on the earth. And I mean to tell you, that, that girl, she goes, when she shared this. She goes, now nah, before this happened, she goes, I was a very selfish person. She goes, I didn't think about anybody else. I didn't think about anybody but myself. You know what I mean? And, and she goes, when she came back, it was an instant change on the inside of her where she wasn't concerned about herself anymore. So consumed with the way she looked or how she, people, she appeared to people. She goes, that didn't even matter anymore. What mattered was, was, what can I do to bless somebody out there? And that girl's life was transformed in a moment in a moment, just by a visitation to heaven, and Jesus sent her back. And she said what transformed her was realizing how much God loved her. I wish I could say it another way, but she said it was just so, so compelling and so real and so rich. And she goes, yet I knew that my life, I didn't live right when I was on the earth, even though I was a believer. But she goes, the love of God, the love of Jesus so transformed me that when I came back to the earth and came back in my body and came back to life, she said, I was a different person. Amen? Now, here's the thing. You and I don't have to go through that to have those kinds of experiences. We don't have to necessarily go to heaven and then come back in order to have that lifestyle change. We can literally have it right now on this earth. Amen? Jesus is real, isn't he? I mean, it's easy to get caught up in the natural, isn't it? We've got to take care of this and maintain this and do this and do that and do that. But, oh, boy, I'll tell you, the most, the most important thing is, is your relationship with God. That's the most important thing. I'm not saying neglect responsibilities. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying let's cultivate our relationship with God. Let's cultivate that. Let's cultivate. Let's breathe in heaven every day. Let's breathe in the spirit of God. Let's breathe in glory to God. Inhale the blessing of God, the presence of God. And as we do, that's going to affect everything else around us. I mean everything. You won't even have to announce it. It'll just come out of you naturally. Okay? Well, Pastor Keith, I just want to go to a church that's going to give me three points and a poem and a little saying, and I'm happy for that. No, that's, that's not what we want. We want the presence of God. We want the presence of God. We want His glory. We want His presence. We want His presence. We want His presence. We want His presence. That's what we want. We want His glory. 